Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. It's a pleasure to be back with you for episode 96 of The Blind Side. Inexorably getting closer to that episode 100. And on The Blind Side this week, we'll be continuing our discussion with Dan Fry. A couple of things under discussion this week. We'll be taking a look at some of the new initiatives from IRA and what hope is there for IRA to get further entrenched into the U.S. rehab system. Dan Fry talks about that. And then we take that promised look at the National Federation of the Blind's National Convention, some of the highlights of the convention. That's all coming up on this week's episode. And thank you very much for all the feedback that we received on Dan's interview in particular and some interviews we've done in recent times. I keep forgetting to mention this. But if you enjoy the podcast, you can certainly help spread the word by giving us a review on iTunes. Hope you'll say something nice. Or if you use Overcast, you can recommend the podcast as well. That's another way of giving it exposure. So people who maybe otherwise wouldn't hear it decide to give it a listen. So we certainly appreciate all of that. Let's get into listener comments this week. Hello, Jonathan. Great show. Keep up the good work. I was amused by your discussion about uh, blind driving. And it reminded me that when I was at school, we had a a guy who used to organise our leisure activities Uh, And he took it upon himself to teach a bunch of us to drive and got hold of one of these dual-controlled cars that has a a clutch and a a brake uh, on the passenger side and took us to a disused airfield um, or managed to get someone to agree that we could use this disused airfield um, uh, near Worcester in England. And uh, he taught us to drive. But the thing that amuses me about it now is that I don't think you'd get away with this now because you'd have like, there'd be like four or five of us crammed into this car, three or four blind kids sitting on the back seat, one blind kid in the in the driving seat with, with him in the passenger seat. And of course, everyone behind is saying, go, go, go faster, go faster, go, 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 go. And it was, it, was, it was rather sort of chaotic. And I do remember we were there one evening and uh, we came around some bend or other um, and the, the, the brakes were absolutely slammed on. And uh, it turned out we'd stopped about 10 feet ahead of a, a tractor that had its lights on, and it was the local farmer who'd wondered what was going on and <laughs> come out to take a look to see if there's any tres- anyone trespassing on this disused airfield. But it was, um, it was a great experience, I have to say, and, and uh, a real sort of innovative experience, I think, for blind children to have. We knew we'd never be able to drive on the roads, or at least in that stage, that's how we thought. Um, no, no inkling of driverless cars at that stage. Uh, but to give us the experience of what it was like, I think was so foresighted um, of those people at the time. So I'm very grateful uh, for that. And I'll be first in line for a driverless car, I have to tell you. One other quick thing I thought I'd mention is your discussion with, with your guest about the importance of sort of peer group contact. I've increasingly thought that to be true as I've got older, um, that this idea that periodically you do need to be able to sit down with people who you don't need to explain things to, who you can offload to, who you can have a whinge or a moan even to if you need, if you, that's what you need, people at your own group who understand the issues. And that that is really important to recharging and regalvanizing um, your sort of resilience to go back out into the world. So uh, it's one of the things that's often, I've thought often, a little bit worrying about 
mainstream education that that I wonder whether children, blind children, get that opportunity um, to feel um, not normal, but to feel that there are people around who get it um, in a way that uh, in in terms of their experience. So I think if you have um, if you have blind friends, hold them close because you will need them uh, throughout the years. Um, just to be there to to understand the the ups and downs, the bumps in the road that life throws up. Thanks, Gary. Gary O'Donoghue there. I still remember my uncle when I was pretty young, you know, nine or ten or something like that, taking me onto some deserted road where he taught me to drive as well. It was a marvellous experience. You and I will be duking it out for that first in line position for the driverless car, Gary. I'm not holding back. <laughs> I can't wait to get that. And Mike Calvo has been in touch. Good to hear from you, Mike, and thanks for the positive feedback about the podcast. He has sent this little story along. Uh, Sounds like it is from a public address he's given at some point on being a blind driver. The year was 1985, and I was raised in Miami. Anybody here from Miami? Yeah. Anyway, and that was one of those times that... We, I went out with Andy and with Bear, and we went out in the boat. The boat was this station wagon. We were in high school, right? And it's like this, you know, like car that the Griswolds would drive with the, like the wood paneling on the sides. We would go out in this car on, on the weekends cruising. And Bear, well, he had these oars, like for a, like for a, like, you know, a, what is it, a kayak or something? We'd stick them out the window <laughs> for the boat. So back in 1985, there used to be this this can of beer that Miller made. It was called the King Can. And it was like a 32-ounce, huge, dude. You'd walk into a party with like a, a can and be like, the king, you know? And uh, And that night, everybody had a King Can for me. Sucks, man. I was taking antibiotics. So Andy and Bear had their king cans. They had bought one for me, but no king can for me. So they drank my king can, which sucked. So, so you know, it's getting late. And you ever notice all this shit starts to happen after midnight? But I had to get home at midnight. So... I'm like, dude, I got to get home. So they're like, how are we going to get home? We can't drive because we're, you know, a little wasted from drinking the king cans. And somebody said, I know, Mikey, you can drive us home. I'm like, uh, I don't have a license. You know? <laughs> and that's just the beginning. You know, when you're, when, you're, <laughs> when you're 17, you're not thinking about the obvious other stuff, right? So I'm like, dude, I, I've, I don't drive. Oh, come on, we'll go practice. <laughs> and what a better place to practice than St. Timothy's Catholic Church baseball field. <laughs> so let's not forget that it was Good Friday. Yes. <laughs> I'm serious. This is true, okay? <laughs> You can't make this up. And so we're like practicing and they're like, come on, bro, turn left, turn left. You know, 
the boat in the middle of the St. Timothy's baseball field. Needless to say, after a little while, shoot. Walks up to the window. Son, can you step out of the car, please, with the license and registration? I reach into the glove compartment. I grab what I thought might be the registration. And I'm like, getting out of the car, I'm like, <laughs> Didn't have the dog back then. <laughs> and the cop looks at me, he's like, very funny, son. <laughs> so I'm like, good evening, officer. He says, mask what you're doing. I said, well, officer, you see, my friends had been drinking and we didn't think that would be appropriate for them to be driving inebriated. So we thought that it would be a good idea for us to come out here and perhaps help me, you know, sharpen my driving skills so I could drive them home. And so I'm looking the cop in the face, you know, so he's like, so what's with the stick? I said, well, I I'm, I'm blind. And, and the cop said, you're shitting me. <laughs> I'm like, no, sir. So needless to say, he gets on the radio. And, you know, before we knew it, like five other cops pulled up. <laughs> He's like, do you believe this stuff? Look at the blind guy driving his friends home and blah, blah, blah. And all the other cops are like, so how are you going to write this up in your report? <laughs> So, <laughs> thank God, everybody had a sense of humor. <laughs> Boy, was I popular on Monday at school. <laughs> and, uh, and needless to say, the, the, the cops, one of the cops, he drove everybody home, got us home. But this is exactly what happened when we resolved, and I certainly hope that you resolve, not to drive when drinking. Mm, useful little parable there. Thank you very much for that, Mike. Our place, our issues. The Blind Side with Jonathan Mosen. Time for part two of our chat with Dan Fry. Last week we talked a little bit about Dan and uh, his career and, of course, his departure from New Jersey, which there's been a lot of interest in. But we initially brought Dan onto the podcast to talk about more recent things, things that have been going on at the National Convention of the National Federation of the Blind. So welcome back, Dan. Thank you. Now, I know that you've been doing some uh, consultancy work with IRA. This is a product that I've blogged about a lot that really excites me tremendously as well. Uh, let's talk about IRA first. Are you horizoning? You've got the new Horizon gear? I do. I have my Horizon gear. And um, uh, after leaving the commission, I opened up uh, a consulting firm of my own um, and one of the entities with whom I've been doing some consulting work uh, as, uh, as a writer and as a person who can help uh, leverage um, IRA services into the broader uh, vocational rehabilitation um, services. Uh, I've, I've been working with them in that context and 
have thoroughly enjoyed uh, bringing Ira into that mainstream environment. One of the dangers of Ira is that it can, I suppose, be perceived to be a comfort to sighted people, right? I mean, it really does make a huge difference to our lives. It's made a massive difference to mine, not only as a blind person, but also someone who has a hearing impairment. It's, it's wonderful. But I suppose that w- we have to somehow find ways of telling the rest of the world, yes, it is a wonderful service, but it doesn't mean that without Ira, we're completely helpless. Jonathan, I think that's an, an incredibly important message to convey. And in an effort to convey that message, Ira has just adopted uh, new brand guidelines, which make it unequivocally clear what Ira fervently believes. And what Ira fervently believes is that blind people need to use all of the non-visual skills that allow them to function effectively and that what IRA is designed to do is to be a bridge to information, uh, not just navigational instructions, but a bridge to information more broadly, both physically and digitally, uh, where they or that information is otherwise inaccessible. Um, but when IRA explorers are uh, new to the uh, service, they are told that agents expect them to be using a cane and a guide dog. And when um, explorers are crossing the street, the agent acknowledges their judgment on the ground and says, I will go quiet once I've given you the information, all of which are um, signs that Ira fundamentally respects uh, the inherent ability of blind people to use uh, non-visual techniques to succeed. Uh, IRA is, again, uh, a complement to uh, our skill sets and an additional tool that we can use for efficiency. But Suman Kenyaganti, the CEO, has tried to make it clear uh, at both consumer organizations this year how, uh, tr- how truly informed IRA is by a strong and progressive philosophy uh, of blindness being uh, something that is self-sufficient. Do you think there's a case to be made for VOC Rehab funding IRA in certain situations? I do. Um, IRA has, recognizing that uh, unemployment is um, a huge issue within our community despite um, years of effort to address that concern, IRA has created uh, an employment program where anyone who is an IRA explorer who is using IRA to undertake anything related to securing a job from assessing whether or not your um, attire is appropriate to uh, formatting your resume to filling out applications on inaccessible websites to navigating your way to the interview or anything else that can creatively be imagined to be relevant to employment. If you are an explorer uh, and you ask your agent to characterize the work that you're doing as employment-related, those services, those minutes are free and they do not count against your time. Given that commitment uh, that IRA has to helping bring the uh, unemployment rate down, um, I think that the relationship between IRA and VR is really strong. 
some of the VR reservation had initially to do with the purchasing model that IRA came in, but IRA has accommodated that concern by abandoning in the VR context a monthly subscription and instead has created pricing that state agencies can purchase for periods of time, generally semester-length periods or three, six, nine, and 12 months so that it can be purchased and can parallel reader services. Uh, and given that IRA is as committed to helping uh, address employment, um, I think VR has an absolute obligation to legitimately use IRA to achieve that goal. The other thing that IRA is doing that is absolutely related to the VR end is that it has created an employer network. What is that? Well, that's where an employer uh, has a blind employee or multiple blind employees, and the employer decides to purchase a brick of minutes uh, that can be used by that blind employee or that series of blind employees uh, while they're on the job or while they are mobile and working in, in a job-related capacity. Uh, and that is not to say that employers don't have obligations to render um, their products and their, their equipment accessible, but when IRA can be helpful uh, to, uh, to a blind person on the job and the employer wants to provide the benefits that come from IRA, they can join the employer network and then the blind employee can use IRA again uh, for free because the employer is making that available. And at present, uh, IRA has employers across the country who have made um, IRA services available to their blind employees, and we're looking to, to expand that opportunity to any other employers. Um, Suman has made it clear that he has invited every employer in the United States where they have blind staff to consider uh, becoming part of the employer network. It makes so much sense because so often in the past we've waited for sighted assistance to be available. And might, it might be that you schedule some time with a human reader that an employer is paying for or in a New Zealand context maybe some agency is paying for to level the playing field. And your tasks accumulate and they build up until you, you get that person. So that does have an impact on productivity. And it seems to me you know, we talked last week about that high unemployment level that we have in the blind community. So here is a really tangible way to say, look, you know, this is a way to increase the productivity of blind people. Basically, they've got a working pair of eyes on demand whenever they need it. Yeah, I really love the fact that Ira gives the autonomy to the blind person to access Ira services when and where they need it on their terms under the circumstances that are most beneficial to them. Uh, Intuit has collaborated with IRA to say that anyone who is self-employed uh, and uh, wants to operate his or her business can use IRA minutes for free if they are an explorer 
if they are doing anything related to the performance uh, of their business. That includes, you know, reviewing receipts or uh, managing inventory, uh, doing billing, um, reading mail, anything that can legitimately be tied to the management of your self-employment business. Um, IRA is prepared to give to you for free uh, uh, through the collaboration with, with Intuit. Uh, and again, I think it's uh, uh, IRA's commitment to making sure that blind people are able to overcome this uh, intractable uh, barrier of unemployment that we have faced. And it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a decision that shows that consumers are driving IRA's priorities. And IRA clearly understands that employment and self-employment are things that um, it wants to contribute to as part of the social good that it does above and beyond the, the, the valuable service it offers. There are a number of specific innovations that were announced around convention time, notably the text messaging feature, which is wonderful in those situations where it's just not practical to talk. I was in a presentation where I was using Ira a while ago and I was kind of mumbling into my phone because I needed to ask the agent a question. And of course, it looks a bit rude if you're um, in a board meeting as I was uh, talking to somebody in my phone. You know, you don't know that they don't know who you're talking to. So the idea that you can text an agent, an agent can talk back to you, or if that's not practicable, they can uh, text back to you. Um, that's that's a really significant innovation, not only for those situations, but also for those who are deafblind who would like to use the service. And I think that was Ira's primary motivation. Um, certainly, we think it's a, a, a unique innovation for those who want to communicate discreetly with their agents, but it was primarily calculated to cater to our deafblind consumers who have admittedly not been able to take full advantage of IRA uh, without the uh, texting protocol that has now been introduced and is accessible on a, on a Braille display and can really uh, benefit this community in a way that, uh, that they're going to enjoy for, for a long time to come. Uh, one of the other innovations that was introduced uh, at uh, conventions uh, this uh, this season is the new IRA Live uh, protocol, where you can go live uh, to any other explorers and share your audible uh, interaction, whether you're at a concert or you're having uh, a conversation that you would like to share with a broader group of people. Um, it's something like uh, the live feature on other social media, but it's it's audible and it's um, something that we think is going to really render um, Ira's commitment to the broader community um, more evident. Um, Ira really does have a desire not only to provide a, a valuable service, but to promote um, greater community, greater connection among uh, those who are using its product. It is a fun and exciting feature, and it has a number of uh, use cases, as you say, uh, gatherings where it might be of interest to others to tune in. It could be even if you have a bunch of blind people sitting at a table in a restaurant and you just want one agent to read the menu to you, and you can password protect these live sessions if you want, so that only those who have the pin can get in and hear the session. 
There's been a lot of talk about this Horizon technology. Uh, it was being shown at CSUN, so it's been anticipated for a wee while. And now the Horizon devices are starting to roll out, and a few have them, and those numbers will increase over time. What difference have you noticed it making in terms of the way that you use the service? Wow. Um, the Horizon glasses uh, are... Uh, a significant uh, step forward in terms of simple uh, reliability, in terms of access to audio and video with your agent, and occasionally with the with the older product, you would you would lose uh, connection. And my experience with with my Horizon glasses is that I have not lost contact, uh, in particularly with video contact with my agent. So I think that has been significantly improved and i think that's going to you know the fact that it is more reliable now is going to encourage people to to use it uh in more creative ways people may have grown weary uh, of trying it when they couldn't consistently rely on it but horizon uh, the horizon glass is uh really a, a piece of technology that has has rendered it much more reliable and so something that you can use with greater confidence in a number of situations. I love the fact that the um, sunglasses uh, look uh, stylish uh, and they have the camera in the middle, uh, which gives the agent uh, a significantly broader visual view, uh, both uh, field of vision and up and down. Uh, I like the fact that it's hands-free. Uh, I like the fact that the... Uh, the phone that it is connected to through a tether cord uh, is very simple to operate, and I think one of the most exciting prospects uh, that comes with Horizon is, of course, um, Ira's um, artificial intelligent um, agent, Chloe. And right now, she can do some fairly uh, rudimentary tasks, but we are beta testing her ability to read overhead signs and gradually, the AI portion of, of the IRA equation is, is going to be uh, a wonderful complement to the human component of the IRA, of the IRA um, product. For me, the exciting thing about IRA, apart from all of those things, which are kind of things I'm personally satisfied about, is the way that Horizon allows IRA to reach out to more people. So with this device... Anybody can learn to plug the glasses into the device, fire it up, it gives a nice, clear vibration, and then just double tap a button. Jonathan. So even if you've never used any kind of computing device in your life before, just pressing it to feel the vibration, waiting until you hear Chloe talk, and double tapping the home button puts you in touch with someone who can help you, maybe if you're a senior, read your newspaper, uh, describe pictures of what the grandkids are doing, any number of tasks. And to me... That is just the most exciting thing of all, that this transcends geekdom. You don't have to know how to use a touchscreen on your phone. This is a standalone appliance that gives you sighted assistance at the touch of a button. That's what I love about this. I agree. The simplicity of, of the IRA interface uh, through Horizon is, is going to make this uh, intergenerational and something that everyone can embrace. Um, and, and I think that's truly exciting. 
One of the things I brought you on for as well was to talk about the NFB convention as a veteran. Can we call it a veteran of these conventions having been going since 1980? Did you say 86? I've, I've been to every convention since um, 89, but 85 was my first. That's right. Six, seven, and eight, I wasn't there, and then 89 consecutively. I think I counted it up, and it's uh, 31 conventions now. Uh, you've been around, yeah. So how did it raise in terms <laughs> of what was the level of enthusiasm like? Uh, is the organization in good heart from your viewing of the proceedings? Yeah, my observation is that the Federation was in good spirit and good form this year. I think we registered um, uh, 2,450 people approximately, and um, people were excited by the uh, number of new initiatives that are being introduced. This year uh, was a record in terms of the legislative initiatives that the Federation has has prompted. It has also been a, a year where we have introduced a number of programs like our Blind Parent Initiative. Uh, and so the organization has, has a lot going on, and I think you'll, get, uh, you'll be able to capture a lot of what was achieved in the last year by reading uh, both the the presidential report, which is given on the first afternoon of the general sessions, and then the banquet address. I think both of those um, presentations by uh, Mark Riccobono, um, the president, uh, will give you a sense of of the, the, the spirit that is currently alive and well within the Federation. Let's talk about the banquet address, because I heard that and uh, noticed that it was a little different from banquet addresses that you typically hear at an NFB convention. There wasn't the sort of, you know, there's usually a bit in the middle where there's some highlighting of some particularly ridiculous initiative or point of view about blindness, for example. This one was almost like signaling a sea change in the organization. It was essentially saying, look, we want you to know we are an inclusive, tolerant organization, that we do have a history uh, of inclusion, but that you are particularly welcome. I, I agree, Jonathan, and I think that your perception is correct. I think President Riccobono was acknowledging that uh, the Federation, which has always been committed to the civil rights of blind people, um, is an organization that embraces all blind people and that blind people represent the full diversity of the human experience. And if it hasn't been evident before, I think he was trying to make it clear that the Federation's devotion to blindness transcends um, every blind person, no matter what his or her uh, status may be, and that we are going to be an organization that reflects that principle, um, not only as it relates to blindness, but we're going to respect the diversity of blind people. Because as a diverse organization, we're able to be a richer uh, and smarter organization uh, for that inclusive practice. I can't help pointing out, though, that it was an interesting topic to pick, given that there is only one 
consumer organization of the blind in the United States that has ever elected a female president, and it isn't NFB. The NFB, of course, has, has not had a female president, but as is evident from the uh, banquet address, uh, females have been in significant leadership roles from as early as its founding in 1940 to the fact that all three of the NFB uh, affiliated training centers were founded by women. And I think it's probably less significant that there has not been a, uh, a female president and more significant that women have played um, a role in almost every level of the organization. You talked earlier briefly about the parenting initiative and legislation that is being passed in various states now. I've been around in advocacy for long enough to be pretty sanguine about most things, but I don't know what I would have done. Honestly, I don't. Had somebody from the state tried to take one of my children away from me, I, I can honestly not think of much more in the world that would drive me to I don't know what. And I don't know how those parents who've suffered this cope. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a dreadfully harrowing, upsetting thing to hear the experiences of, of these parents. I absolutely agree. Uh, we've talked throughout the course of this week and last about social misconceptions about the capacity of blind people and the challenges that blind parents face from uh, custodial rights to simply being able to be a blind parent without being questioned by a well-meaning sighted observer who doesn't understand that we use alternative techniques to achieve our tasks uh, can be can be really frightening and this legislation says that there is uh, that blind people have to be that blindness need not be if blindness is the only question ever a cause for discrimination against a blind parent. My wife and I um, have not been able to um, have our own child, but while we were living in New Zealand, we were the first blind couple, from what I was told by the Ministry of Youth and Children. Um, to be uh, licensed as foster parents. And I recall getting out of a taxi while in New Zealand and having custody of a 17-month-old baby and someone saying, don't drop him. And of course, if uh, a sighted person had gotten out of a taxi with a, with a child in tow, the presumption by a passerby would not have been to even say that at all. So oftentimes people misunderstand our ability. They question our ability to supervise competently. And obviously President Riccobono is um, the father of three children, two of whom are blind, but one of whom is not. And this topic resonates with him. And I think it resonates with all of us, whether we're parents or not, because it speaks to what society thinks about our ability to be mature, responsible caregivers and um, caretakers, um, and the challenges we face in making sure that we can do that without being questioned are uh, really the new, the new frontier of civil rights advocacy. 
As a consequence, the NFB has developed a parenting initiative where we have videos on the NFB website that show blind parents uh, changing diapers, traveling with their children, uh, going to their children's concert. We have um, a legal strategy where if a blind parent is challenged uh, about his or her ability to parent, that they can come to the NFB for support, and we are developing some PSAs, some public service announcements, and one of them is going to concentrate on the fact that people who are blind can parent just like sighted people do. Um, so it's an initiative that I think is going to be prominent, as you noted, uh, and was and is mentioned in the presidential report. Several states have passed some model uh, parenting legislation. I'll qualify this in closing by saying this. There's nothing inherent in blindness that makes you a good parent. But what it's true is that there's nothing inherent in blindness that means that you cannot parent. A blind person who's not trained may not be a good parent. But a blind person who has the skills of parenting certainly is going to be a good parent. And blindness is going to have no bearing on that. Parenting is judgment, isn't it, Jonathan? It is. Who decides that, though? Are we in a situation where there may be some people now who slip through the cracks because they are blind people who haven't been given uh, appropriate training um, and who may pose a risk to the child? I think that has to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis, and I think we cannot be reactionary when we are approached to provide advocacy support. Uh, I think we have to be objective and responsible and figure out whether the challenge is that the person is being challenged based on public misunderstanding about what a blind person can do or whether or not a blind person has not acquired the training that they should have through the various public and private programs that offer instruction. And in that case, I think it's incumbent upon us to say to that blind person, uh, for the benefit of all blind parents, you don't have the skills you need, and it's not fair for you to simply say that you're being denied the opportunity to parent um, and using blindness because that will harm our community. So I think um, it's incumbent upon the Federation and all of us who believe in the capacity of blind parents to succeed to be honest um, when we give feedback to those who approach and say, I'm being challenged based on blindness. Because if they're not a good parent, then they shouldn't be parenting. But I can promise you that if they shouldn't be parenting, it's not inherent in blindness alone. Do you know if there's a view within the NFB about whether there should be federal legislation on the question of blind parenting? Uh, The policies of the Federation are generally adopted through um, uh, resolution at each convention. Um, And I have not heard of an initiative, uh, but that may mean that I'm just not aware of it. But I've not heard of an initiative to try and adopt any federal parenting uh, legislation. That's largely because fostering and parenting uh, tend to be, at least in the United States, uh, the jurisdiction of state and local government issues. Uh, Welfare and um, 
and social services tend to be programs that are administered uh, at the low at the at the lo- most local level of government and so i would imagine that a federal parenting initiative uh, would not be where we would strive to go initially, that we would work on a state-by-state strategy. You mentioned resolutions, and of course they are the policy-making part of the convention. They're the things that people look back on in years from now and say, what were people talking about in 2018? It, it seemed like there weren't really any hugely controversial resolutions. A couple did go to a roll call vote, but nothing that really kind of um, were overly contentious this time. I think that's right. Um, This year we had 20 resolutions. Uh, What I was impressed by this year was that um, the resolutions covered uh, a wider array of topics. Um, Some years we we tend to focus a lot on individual pieces of inaccessible technology. Um, This year the resolutions seemed to be uh, more, more systemic and they, they covered uh, they covered a wide array of topics, but I would agree there were there were none that uh, were terribly controversial um, things that I think uh, almost everyone would be able to get invested in and support. One that did strike me was there was a lot of controversy at the time, and I remember this because I was running ACB Radio at the time when the NFB actually teamed up with the Motion Picture Association and scuttled federally mandated audio description, which seemed at the time and seems to be now an incredibly counterproductive thing to do to blind people. And now there is a resolution praising audio description on the books. Uh, Is there something different about what's happening now versus what happened then? Or has the NFB just evolved in its thinking? I think the latter um the latter sentiment is probably um is probably accurate. Um the federation is an organization of members and federation policy can change if federation sentiment changes. I do think it's fair to say that in the early days of um audio description the federation's position was first that matters of critical significance like weather alerts and um, other important announcements of an emergency nature be voiced before entertainment was given um, that type of support. And the worry was that um, the priority was mistaken. And I'm not sure there was a real objection to Uh, audio description, but there was some concern that the more critical pieces of information conveyed in the broadcast media uh, be given priority when it comes to um, a finite amount of audio description being offered. So I think that nuance is important to remember. As far as I remember, it was the U.S. that invented the whole concept, right? I think WGBH was right there at the forefront. Now we have oodles of uh, content being described by the BBC. We've got uh, about 20 hours described here in New Zealand. Uh, It's taken off elsewhere, and at least on commercial television in the United States, they've really fallen way behind. Although, you know, there is Netflix and a number of other providers who are doing a significant amount of audio description there now, but it's like there's been some momentum lost across the years. Yeah, you know, it it has has not happened as quickly here um and i but i do know that 
most recently, there has been an increase in the number of hours that are required during prime time on um, public uh, airwaves in the United States. I personally am a huge fan of shows that are audio described on Netflix. And the NFB has been uh, most recently involved with a pilot program where um, Broadway shows are now being audio described through a um, service called Gala Pro uh, with um, one of the theater um, theater chains on Broadway. And uh, they are trying to bring audio description to scale by using technology that takes uh, pays attention to lighting and music so that there is a described track, but not someone there doing it live. Um, and I actually just saw Carousel uh, described in that fashion using Audio um, Gala Pro on my iPhone. And it certainly makes the experience richer um, and, and, and more, more, uh, more enjoyable. You'd be a House of Cards fan on Netflix, wouldn't you, Dan? I was a House of Cards fan. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I. I'm eager to see what it's going to be like without um <laughs> It's going to be pretty Kevin. hard to end the series without him, isn't it? I mean, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it. I, I, <laughs> and yet I'm sure his absence is justified. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, are there any other things from the convention that you wanted to highlight? You know, I think this year's convention was uh, just, uh, well, of course, it was the last convention um, for a while um, that will occur in Orlando, and it was uh, revealed on the board meeting day that the 2019 convention will occur uh, from, I think, the 7th to the 12th of July, but don't hold me to those dates, but it will be at uh, the, um, in Las Vegas at the, um, one of the hotels on the Strip, and um, because we have been in Orlando, which we've enjoyed for, for several years, People are excited that we're going to have a different venue next year. Which takes us it's back the to Mandalay the circle. Bay. Because how do you think it will go if you want to sit at one of the card tables and play a game of poker or some other card game with the assistance of an IRA agent? I think that... Do you think they'll let... To uh, render, is that legal I or what? Wonder, <laughs> I'm curious, um, but I can tell you that a lot of... A lot of those machines are inaccessible, and Ira might be that bridge to that digital lack of information. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.